live from the rooftop loft apartment of Otto Octavius. This is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers themed podcast on the internet. Mackenzie, the wait is finally over. This week, A, Austin Danger Podcast is back. Yay! <laughs> Hello! We are returning to the first non Austin journey we started on this show all the way back in, I, I think it was February. And yes. Truly. You know, um, my girlfriend gave me crap the other day because she says I say this about every movie. But truly, if you're going to say this about any movie, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the best. Big night. I mean, the reason why, one of the reasons I adore you is because you have so many favorite movies of all time. Because you're truly a movie lover. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to love. See, that's a thing that people, people get open caught Open mind, up. open heart. That's the ADP motto. People get caught up in what I don't like because it sticks out like a sore thumb because I don't seek out things that I'm going to hate. But uh, yeah. needless to say, Spider-Man 2 changed my life. I am glad. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. I will and say. thank you to this everybody. Is, this is like a birthday gift almost. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, this is better than my other birthday gift, which was COVID. So um, I, I want to thank everybody for their well wishes, both for the birthday and for the COVID. And I am 30 and I am back and we are back. So You're officially 30, flirty and thriving? That's Whoa. right. That's right. We got to watch 13 going on 30 this year. You know what? I had to watch that on a bus back from a school trip, and it was uh, better than I expected. So who knows? It's a fun movie. It's a really good movie. Put it on the wheel. Put it on the wheel. But before we get too too far ahead ourselves in the spider mania of it all, <laughs> Mackenzie, we had a two-week break. Oh, jinkies. Or whatever it was. I don't even know. How does time work? <laughs> what have you been watching? Talk to me. Talk to me. I mean, I told you, like... Literally, I have had a week-long lull because I've been playing Hitman. Yeah, you're goddamn lot, right. So, better so than better playing. than most movies, by the way. The Hitman, <laughs> the Hitman trilogy by IO Interactive. If people haven't played these games, uh, better than most movies, I have to say. It's literally you just walk around as the most severe bald man, changing outfits. <laughs> That's all. You. It's really just a game of what outfit will get me into this room without being shot. Right. Um. But you know, I'm having a good time and. You know, this happened a couple months ago, too, I feel like, where I had, like, a video game mood, and I watched no movies. Um, but before this this last week, since we took so much time off, um, I did finally go see Nope in theaters. Yes. Oh, I forgot that that was... was fun. <laughs> yeah. I that happened that that after. So Talk to me. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously, there's not too much to say about it. Um, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Uh, it's it's really good. I, don't, I think it's my first Jordan Peele movie, so I would like to see his other films. Um, I think that for me personally, it was lacking a bit in the character development space. Uh, Like I wanted to know more about these characters than I left knowing about them. Um, But the the themes are really, really great. His execution is really, really great. The Mm -hmm. visuals and cinematography are amazing. The performances are phenomenal. So like, though I had like a gripe or two, it's still a great movie and was really, really cool to see in theaters. And I'm pretty sure it's coming to like rental vod like maybe now by the time you're listening to this like it's super soon soonish yeah and it'll be on peacock by the end of the year no doubt so yeah so uh i recommend it it rocks Mm -hmm. and then i continued my martin scorsese journey with taxi driver yes i'm not the first person to tell you that taxi driver is good you know it's interesting because i it, it fits into the same area of the zeitgeist that fight club does right like very um certain types of men (laughs) saw toxic masculinity being 
deconstructed and commented on and then took that sort of as like an endorsement of it, which the film is not. And uh, I like that with both Fight Club and Taxi Driver, I've watched them on my own and been like, oh, no, these are just really, really great character studies that were taken completely wrong by dumb people. (laughs) So, yeah. So Taxi Driver is great. I mean, De Niro is phenomenal. Holy shit. How about Albert Brooks in Taxi Driver? <laughs> who does he play? He's the guy working in the campaign. Oh, yeah. He's the guy oh, who sounds like yeah, Nemo's yeah. dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, he's like, I'm going to call the cops on you, okay? You better get out, That's that right. guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that was great. I mean, Sybil Shepard. I wasn't expecting a Sybil Shepard to show up. And baby, baby Jodie Foster. Um, which, you know, her storyline deals with things I don't typically like watching in film, but I was aware of it going in, so I was able to sort of deal with it. But yeah, I mean, for, for anything, I just thought it was a really amazing character study from De Niro, and it's, like, worth watching because it's he's just so good. He's just, I feel like sometimes he's an actor. I feel like we have these actors of a certain age that we've completely taken them for granted. Like, weirdly feel that way about Meryl Streep. Like, mm. we've just, like, stopped giving her awards because we're like, yeah, she's Meryl Streep. But then you go back and you look at some of her her like career defining roles and you're like oh my god she really is one of the greatest actors to ever live and i feel that way about de niro i feel like he's kind of like a weird grandpa now sure. but then you like you 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 like you take him for granted and then you go back to something like this and you're like oh my god really really one of the best performances maybe put on film ever and how cool it is that we exist at the same time as robert de niro mm-hmm. uh yeah and then i don't know the last thing i'll touch on is i did watch new york new york Oh Everyone's my god! The legendary. Breath, I'm sure. I will say, uh, le- I think both. Legendary. I think, I think Taxi Driver is the only Scorsese that's not on the wheel that I can think of. That's I believe. Crazy. I'm gonna have to check. But New York, that's New York, wild. totally valid. Could come up any week. You know, here's the thing. It's a movie that the more I think about it, I don't know if I liked it as much. Yeah. Um, but I do agree. I, I wrote this in my review. It really is Martin Scorsese's La La Land. Weirdly, in terms of like the themes about like artists trying to love one another and that love being volatile honestly liza minnelli is so mind-blowingly good in new york new york to me like better than cabaret like just such an amazingly grounded cool performance uh new york new york is worth it for liza alone and then de niro's great he's playing a really annoying character but you're like okay he's de niro and this is literally the movie he made right after taxi driver and Reading stories about New York, New York was really interesting because this was just a really bad time for Martin Scorsese because apparently they just improvised most of the movie, which made like editing it hell. And it shows because this movie is like so long. You feel the length on this movie. It is a long fucking movie. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's because you didn't give them a script. (laughs) That's probably why it was so long. Um, but yeah. And, you know, obviously because it was right after taxi driver, everyone was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Uh, going from this iconic piece of sort of like kind of a low key, low budget, impactful cinema to this sort of huge production that just doesn't land the same. Uh, again, I think there's so much to love. And if you're like a Scorsese fan, I think it's worth seeking out just to like complete his filmography and see he clearly really loved the ideas he was putting forward here and just didn't quite execute them well. Like he wanted to sort of blend old Hollywood with like the Hollywood he was coming up in. And like, I would honestly, I just would love to see him do it again. I would love to see him try a musical like genuinely. Cause there's this 10 minute musical sequence at the end that is 
a mo- it's a movie within the movie and it's supposed to be sort of a Vincent Minnelli musical and it's amazing and I wish the whole movie was like that and I'm like man I would love to see Scorsese like actually do a musical and um yeah so this movie gives you a taste of that I think it's I think it's worth a chance but uh oh yeah that's mostly what I watched everybody I'm spreading the word of New York New York it's worth the four dollars on eBay we'll get there we'll get there I have to either pick up a copy or get more resourceful I'm not sure which one it's going to be but I'm going to watch it soon more importantly, Kev, what did you watch? You watched a ton more movies than me. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to get up. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, true, what yeah. else was I going to do? Uh, <laughs> we watched the first episode of House of the Dragon, which is the Game of Thrones spinoff prequel thing. That I have already muted on Twitter. Um, Absolutely. Already muted on Twitter. Ian, <laughs> dear friend of the show and past guest, future guest, Paul Thomas Anderson correspondent, has nuked it from his Twitter famously. Uh, I, 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 I I did too, yeah. At this point, I'm just wondering what's not on his list. But anyway, um, I don't know. It's fun. Eh, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. I'm approaching Game of Thrones basically like if my father was going to watch this, where I have no <laughs> attachment, no baggage, no opinions, nothing. I think Tyr- like I watched season one and a handful of episodes of season three. I think Tyrion is funny. I thought Brienne of Tarth was cool. And I liked that uh, the big Samwise dude up in the north. That's all I know. And those characters, <laughs> I don't even think their grandpa shows up on this shit. So I'm just tired of seeing Matt Smith on that legless wig. I'm oh, like, I'm muting this. I the, am muting. I <laughs> Julia had to pause it for some reason. So I I texted friend of the show and future guest, boom, and I was like, Matt Smith's wig. What do you it's terrible, right? And I, you know, Boom is a wig expert. And she confirmed. Terrible. <laughs> the wig is very bad. Terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's House of the Dragon. You know, it's a lot of fun. I'm excited. Again, like this great time of fantasy shows where like we just wrapped up the Sandman also, which was a lot of fun. Really great stuff. And Lord of the Rings is coming up and Wheel of Time is just an announcement away. Like it's fun and great and I'm digging it. Um, I also watched a perfect movie, Beauty and the Beast, which links. Uh, so I don't know how much I want to say, but everything I've ever been enthusiastic about sucks in comparison to Beauty and the Beast. It's a perfect movie. Uh, Disney's <laughs> best. Favorite, one of your favorite movies of all time. It is. You know what? I just think <laughs> Beauty and the Beast might be one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's the best. Howard Ashman, man. He's just a master. Yeah, he was phenomenal. His lyrics, the showmanship, the the high camp winking all went away when he died. and And you could tell the stories were worse for it. Um, yeah, not, he made the best stuff. Not that there was not that there was bandwidth for winking irony in Pocahontas, right? <laughs> but Jesus like, Christ. you know, imagine if Ashman had written the lyrics for Hercules, for example, which is a great, oh. you know, don't don't come for us. It's a great movie. Oh, Hercules is my favorite, personally. The music for that is I am obsessed with. But imagine if it went just a little bit further because it was Howard. Imagine, imagine. I mean, he's he gave he gave us as children a sea witch based off of divine. So like really he's putting it, putting it deep in our brains. What more can I say? What more can I say? (laughs) Uh, Another greatest movie of all time, the Muppet movie. Never seen that. The Island of Misfit podcasts, which is where uh, Tim Hamilton, Seti Bimco and uh, Spaghetti and Freddie live. Uh, We did a, a little watch party there the other night because we all were around the Muppet movie, man. My God. (laughs) <laughs> My God, perfect! Oh, and uh, I finished the last movie stars. 
Oh, yeah, baby. On your recommendation, and our, our mm-hmm. friend uh, Guti also recommended it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's like the story the story of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, right, is already amazing mm-hmm. on paper. If this were just a documentary, right? But this frame narrative of Ethan Hawke making the movie over Zoom and then making yeah. that a part of the show and then making it basically two shows that are both equally interesting – uh, also, Ethan Hawke can call James Dean Jimmy Dean on Zoom to Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, oh, that's as good it's as it so gets, good. man. That's as good as it gets. Like, if you're listening to this show, you love movies enough to check this out. And I think you'll be hooked by, like, for me, it was like two minutes. That first yeah. Zoom where Immediate. he's pitching it or talking to his kid about it or I forget which which call that was. Oh, my God. And that's the other it's thing so is that good. his kid's just in it. And she's yeah. great. And she's great. <laughs> she's great. I mean, yeah, it's it's so, and I said this last time, so I won't linger too much, but it's just like, I've seen a lot of negative reviews about it, calling it like pretentious on Ethan Hawke's part. And I just could not agree. I could not disagree more, really, because for me, what makes it so special is that like the deep love and reverence and affection he has for these subjects just billows out of every frame and every word that like you could tell, like even every moment this was edited and strung together was made with nothing but love and respect for these people. And that's why it is so special. And so, yeah, Ethan Hawke did an amazing job with this. Like if you don't know anything about either actor. Yeah. Right? First it, of it all, still good. you have quite a journey to go on as do we, um, but like Ethan Hawke's enthusiasm sells yes. the stars for you. So you don't have to imagine like loving them you can see him love them and get it yes and then you're taken on a ride of this amazing story it's so good it's great it's so good um what else am i doing uh bride of chucky i'll touch on because it's totally our thing you know i've been looking at that poster for all my life since it came out on vhs at blockbuster video you know almost 25 years ago or whatever and uh, that's a lot of fun. That's very, it's very us. It's very goofy, very meta. Jennifer Tilly's hilarious. I mean, you know, I love Till. Yeah. Let's not talk about what comes after. And, uh, you know, the Child's Play trilogy is like fun. But br- <laughs> ugh, for one fleeting moment, Bride of Chucky. Brilliant. We love it. And that's two chef's kisses on this show. So how do you like that? <laughs> There's going to be many more coming up in the Oh my the God, hour. that's right. Before we move on to Austin news, we have some Austin Danger podcast news that we'd like to share about the rest of the year. Now, far be it from us to deny the wheel. Most of the shows coming up through the end of the year will be your, you know, chairman of the board or maybe (laughs) Spider-Man or Terminator or something. Completely random picks. The format that made us famous. We know how we got here. So we're sticking to it. Famous, baby. However, you know, um, of course, back in January, we started the podcast going through the Austin Powers movies. Then we were blindsided by a new Mike Myers series on Netflix. And our second event in May covered the Pentaveret. And so I married an axe murderer. And the wheel gave us Wayne's World, crazily enough. Remember? So much fun. Then the next month, we took you on the road to Boz Lerman's Elvis as we became Austin Butler podcast. And tonight, we are super excited to announce the fourth and fifth Austin Danger podcast events. First, in October, you know, there's been a trend this year for us to give us movies from like my my pseudo intellectual BS claiming our wheelhouse, mid nineties <laughs> studio comedies, and so yes. to pay tribute to that wheelhouse, 
we are doing a journey I'm calling Screamtoberfest. Every Monday in October, including and especially Halloween, we will be doing all five Scream movies. I'm so excited. One of my favorite series of all time. I have not seen the fifth yet, and I am going to save it for the show. Oh, that's I'm great. very excited. That is going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited. Uh, so that's in October. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a special guest. Maybe we'll have some fun surprises. A letterboxed list. Who knows? That all starts Monday, October 3rd. And, and we highly encourage you, if you watch along with anything on this show, come join us on the Scream Journey in October. It's going to oh, be so yes. much fun. So much fun such a blast whether it's your first time or your 500th time come hang out so that starts monday october 3rd how exciting then you know as some people might know austin danger podcast started as a silly running gag over a DD session all the way back in january of this year uh, that gag started about james cameron's avatar and the many it's different it. people that it took to make that movie um, I think my interference made it Austin Powers, and then the rest is history. But we never forgot our roots, so we'll be finishing our first calendar year as Austin Danger Podcast by spending Christmas on Pandora, asterisk, pending ticket availability. That's right. <laughs> as long as we both can see Avatar 2 on our December yes. 19th episode, we're going to be doing James Cameron's Avatar. Well, that's happening either way. Yes. But if we can get tickets on December 26th, the final show of the year, we will be discussing the brand new Avatar, The Way of Water. Should we? Um, we will let you know in advance how that goes. And we'll do Titanic. <laughs> we have a backup. Yeah, yeah, we have a backup. We're going to do Titanic if we can't get into Avatar 2. But that is what is happening. So get excited about that. <laughs> it's either going to be Christmas on Pandora or Christmas on the Titanic. That's right. That's right. Christmas on the Titanic. Christmas on the Titanic. It's possible. <laughs> and I mean, look, our plans will go will go nose up like the Titanic in that <laughs> it's case. It's a metaphor. So. It's really a big, beautiful metaphor. That's right. So uh, those are our big events for the rest of the year. How exciting. We're letting you know in advance because... We had these plans before other podcasts announced they're covering Avatar 2, and we're scrambling for recovery. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, it's time. <laughs> we were too busy innovating privately, and we need to innovate publicly now. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's right. We really got to set our innovation loose. That's right. That's right. It's time to innovate. Basically, the second that the release date 2022 got announced, it was our <laughs> DM saying we're doing this right. Oh, yeah. We got that locked in. That Avatar 2 got locked in so fast. That was pre-Elvis, I'm pretty sure. That was literally like March of this year. I was pre We were like, we're doing Avatar. It was pre-Elvis. So that's exciting. That's exciting. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we encourage you to come spend Christmas on Pandora. And uh, we will let you know well in advance what goes on with The Way of Water and if we're spending Christmas on the Titanic with Kathy Bates. <laughs> Uh, who will be returning to the show oh, in that case, Kathy but Bates. we'll work on that in the meantime. Whoop news. What does it all mean, Basil? Well, let me tell you, we're gone for two weeks. We have two pieces of Austin news. How amazing is that? Whoa. So um, the first one is, uh, frankly, for me, kind of baffling. We got this in from a few friends of the show, and I did some digging, 
including signing up for an email newsletter that now pings me four times a day for oh no reason God. with all the, the culture writers have spent the best part of the last 10 years avoiding. Um, there was a report in a, in a magazine called Puck that New Line, quote, would like to make a Dr. Evil movie. Now, I, I, I thought there would be more to that. So I had to go through this huge rigmarole to sign up with them and everything. But no, that's all the information you get. Which well, wasn't there like a shitty comment too? It was like we'd like to do new uh, Doctor Evil if Mike Myers can get his shit together. Oh yeah, like the analyst. Comment. The analyst was basically like, you know, if Mike Myers can get it together, they'd love to make a Doctor Evil movie. Like, but like, apart? no shit. What's number he doing? One, right. <laughs> I bet yeah. New Line would love to produce Lord of the Rings movies by Peter Jackson until the cows came home because they make a lot of money, right? <laughs> I bet New Line would love to get the rights to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street back if they don't have them and, and churn those out and, and have those make money. I would love to win the lottery tomorrow and win $300 million. If they would like to do it, then do it. Don't be cowards. I don't know. I don't know. You know, who's to say? Again, this is also just another example of like, even if this rumor is true and there are like are brass, like New Line Brass is like, oh, we got to do that Dr. Evil. Where's uh, that? You know, where's Mike Myers? Where's that script? It's just another example of people passing the buck over this Austin Powers 4 situation. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tough. It's tough. Um, the other piece of Austin news, Mike Myers was on live with Kelly and Ryan recently why i'm i'm not a hundred percent sure i think maybe to promote the pentaveret and to talk about the anniversary of gold member perhaps hmm. and uh you know they asked him if he would do another one and he said i like performing you know i took a little time off when the kids came i did stuff i could do out of my house i did bohemian rhapsody and inglorious bastards i did a documentary on shep gordon super mensch future episode um, which Chef Gordon appears in the Pentaveret, by the way. Pentaveret, yeah. I did that all out of my house, and about a few years back, my wife was like, you're going insane, get out, do more stuff. Which resulted in things, uh, if people remember, they resulted in things like the Gong Show reboot, which was, like, really fun, and obviously the Pentaveret. So, I mean, uh, yeah. on one hand, who knows, right? Maybe there could be something. Now is the time, in my opinion, but... Yeah, but I think he... This sounds like the worst thing in the world to say, but he can't wait until he gets much older, honestly. Like, if he's going to do Dr. Evil again, he, this is a good age for him to do it and maybe retire the character. Um, I say I mean, this with love and yeah. respect. The the Austin Powers era is over. Yeah, no, I, I think that if, like, they were going to do this, he really could only be Dr. Evil. And maybe they could do the kind of Wet Hot American Summer thing where it's a prequel and there's a younger guy playing Austin, but he still does evil with maybe some Irishman. Uh, technology at his aid. Oh my god, uh, I would love that if they joked about it. Yeah, like if, exactly. If they like made I could fun see them being self-aware, or even like I could see them doing a thing where like how the James Bond was sort of like we're getting the first female James Bond, but it was just like a woman who happened to also be 007. Like maybe the new Austin Powers is really a woman, but for no reason, and she keeps the name Austin Powers, or like you know, they, I'm sure they could do something stupid and referential of what uh, like James Bond has become. They could figure it out, is what I'm saying, if they wanted to do it. But I agree that now is the time. Like, Mike Myers is in peak era where he could maybe pull it off. Dr. Evil in Never Say Swinger Again. David, David, if you're not going to do dinner in a movie and you, you're still committing to narrative, we're here for you, bud. <laughs> David. Call us. Uh, and that's it. I don't know. 
Uh, if you want to talk about Austin Powers, we would read your feedback about Austin Powers here. Send it to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. We want to leave that space open. Uh, but besides that, that's it. That's all the Austin news that's fit to print. Well, that means it is time. Speaking of printing and J. Jonah Jameson. That's right. We got to get into it. We got to get into one of your all-time favorite movies. One of my all-time favorite movies, possibly. Probably a lot of people's all-time favorite movies. <laughs> Spider-Man 2. later. Peter Parker just can't keep it together. He just got fired from his pizza delivery gig. J. Jonah Jameson isn't buying his photos like he used to. He's losing focus in school. He's estranged from his friends and his Aunt May. And worst of all, he's sporadically losing his spider powers. Peter's buddy Harry invites him to meet the nuclear scientist Otto Octavius, with whom Peter quickly bonds. He's writing a paper about him for class who understand. Otto uses a mysterious chemical called tritium which is real, crazy, to fuel a giant reactor that creates a small sun that he can control using four large articulate robot tentacles with metal claws at the end. While demonstrating this technology to shareholders, the reactor begins to go critical, killing his wife Rosie and blowing the inhibitor chip that sat at the base of his spine, allowing the arms to integrate with his nervous system. Corrupted by the AI, he violently escapes the hospital and becomes driven to try the experiment again. Meanwhile, after a few other superpower failures, Peter loses faith and quits being Spider-Man. The effects are instantaneous. While Spider-Man is missed everywhere across the city, he's able to keep up with his personal life, going to see Mary Jane and the importance of being earnest, and his schooling picks up as well, and things begin to look up. But a chance encounter with a burning building and some good old-fashioned speechcraft from Aunt May teach Peter the value of Spider-Man's valiance. There has to be a balance. Oh, P.S. Harry's been looking for vengeance this whole movie because he thinks Spider-Man killed his father. He strikes a deal with Otto. The octopus will get his chemicals if Harry gets Spider-Man. All right, cool. Let's throw a car at Peter and Mary Jane, who are reconciling in that moment. Then bring the fight to an elevated train inexplicably in the middle of Manhattan, pit Spider-Man against unbeatable odds, then bring his beaten body right to Harry. Shocked to see his best friend under the mask, Harry is convinced to give Peter the location of Octavius's giant warehouse on some harbor somewhere, and in a climactic battle, Spider-Man saves Mary Jane, who learns that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and Otto gives his life to sink the unstable reactor into the river. In the end, Mary Jane leaves John Jameson, astronaut and future werewolf, at the altar, and shows up at Peter's apartment in the fucking dress, because sometimes life really is like before sunset, sometimes. Pivotally, finally, back at the Osborne mansion, Harry is finally brainwashed by the spirit of his father in a cliffhanger I'm still feeling the effects of 18 years later as Willem Dafoe appears in the mirror to his son. Dot, 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 to be continued. But for now, that is Spider-Man 2. I got chills. I'm chilled up right now. There's so much going on. It's crazy. (laughs) There's a lot going on, but it's balanced perfectly. Yes. And it's so insular and wholly focused on this story and this world and everything that matters in this moment. And that is why it is so fucking good. There you go. All right. It's time for Mackenzie <laughs> to spin the wheel. 
We're done. What's your history? I mean, I, I know it's so special to you. I would love in this moment to hear you talk about your history with Spider-Man too. My aunt took me to the first one and it changed my life crazily. Like, you know, I, I was fascinated with it. I absolutely loved it. I was obsessed and I couldn't wait until the sequel. I got the video game around the time it came out and then we didn't go all summer. I didn't see this movie until August around this time. Hmm. And I had already beaten the game like 10 times. So I knew every major plot element, including Mary Jane and Peter getting together in the end. Oh my God. <laughs> Cause I had beaten the hell out of the game because I was so obsessed. Uh, and, and you know, what's crazy is that even though I had been through all that and known all those things, the movie lived up to my expectations. And, you know, that fall I started junior high school and that was the worst, right? That was horrible uh, for many, many reasons. But I had started to read the essential Spider-Man because they were all at the junior high library. And uh, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, but that that is my history. I've always loved it. I will always love it. It's the best. Um, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I I. I remember seeing the first one in theaters. I'm pretty sure we were, I was seven when it came out. So I think I was really little and it didn't super resonate with me. And I definitely was not a person who got into comics until high school. So like I was years off from anything like Spider-Man, like resonating, resonating with me. But I always like looked back at it with a lot of nostalgia. And, you know, obviously we're not going to like harp on modern uh, superhero movies so much, but I feel like, growing up it, it's looked back on it's like these this trilogy is looked back on as such a nostalgic incredible trilogy of superhero films and so i've always like it's always been in my sphere uh but really recently my partner and i sat down to watch the trilogy and we started this one and i was like 20 minutes into it assuming i had actually seen spider-man 2 and then realizing i don't think i've actually seen spider-man 2 i might have just played the video game a bunch because i always loved a sp i just love swinging around the city so i always played like, I like just delivering pizza, Spider-Man. Like, I thought that was fun. So, like, I just did that. Um, so, I kind of technically had a first-time watch late last year. And, uh, yeah, I really loved it. I I think I loved it even more this time. It really is just, it's, it's like, hard not to be in awe of how perfect it is in terms of, it, it might be one of the, I mean, this trilogy, but really this movie might be one of the most perfect superhero movies ever made in, in every element of its execution to me the casting the insular storytelling the heart the saccharine feelings it's it's completely unafraid of getting near it's 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 really 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 so good it's crazy that's right what could i tell you <laughs> it's just it's, it's incredible like where should we even start i mean we could start at the beginning those beautiful alex ross paintings over the spider-man theme yes telling us kind of what happened and reminding everybody of the original perfectly just some like amazing pieces on their own the um like peter standing there with his part of his face exposed with norman's body on the duvet or whatever not duvet what's it called the chaise lounge daybed yeah chaise i think is yeah, correct yeah, yeah just incredible the, the upside down uh, kiss art is gorgeous. Like, oh man, it's beautiful. That art is, I want prints of all of those. It's so true. good. Something I caught in the opening credits this time, executive producer, Kevin Feige. I fucking saw that mm -hmm. too. And I almost texted you and went, this motherfucker was a part of this too. 
What did we learn there? What did we learn there? Crazy. Questions, questions. That is crazy. Um, here's something that we can do with the opening credits. My number one point, you know, we, we keep, you know, a handful of points and we bounce off them. That's kind of how we do things here. The movie is an almost complete escalation of the original Spider-Man. I know a lot of people, including Chris Nolan, use escalation to talk about the Dark Knight, but it really mm. gets started here where everything about it, the opening credits are now not some CG nebulous web thing, but they're these Alex Ross paintings, as we mentioned. The speech is absolutely more pointed and more direct. It's all about Mary Jane and what he gave up there in that moment. So we're joining him there. The, the comedy is, is up a notch. Aunt May's big speech is up a notch. The villain is up, we'll talk about it later, 20 notches. The whole movie has been even, <laughs> not to be untoward, Okay, but even Kirsten Dunst being damp is escalated. It's the whole third act now. You know what I mean? Everything about it is escalated. And I I feel like that has to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I... I famously love sequels, and the reason why I love sequels, and we'll even learn this a lot in Screamtober, I love that... Not to say that initial movies are bad. Like, I love movies, obviously. But I do love a well-made sequel because, like, I don't have to learn who these people are again. Like, you don't have to teach me their quirks. You don't have to teach me the way they talk to each other. Or, you know, I don't have to learn about their past. I already know all this going to the sequel. So you can just deepen. You can dig your heels in and you can deepen these characters. And, uh, yeah, it is amazing how many amazing payoffs there are. Like, honestly, the Harry storyline for me was where... Because especially knowing if you haven't seen three yet, but like, there's a lot of amazing payoffs. Like that storyline threading through this film exclusively to be paid off in the third is so beautifully like there. And it comes in when it needs to with Octavius uh, and how they intersect the storylines, but it's such a great burbling underplot. Like it, 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 it just builds, it's even building towards the third. It has a vision in mind, but it still isn't planning to like split off too far. It's just keeping this really focused, thing waiting for us in the third movie right. that's so good and and the important thing to note also is that it totally makes sense that harry would be tied with octavius and all this would happen yes. like this yeah absolutely makes sense it's not out of nowhere for no reason and you don't groan when you hear about it because it makes sense yeah it makes total sense because especially like harry get like like it's, it's they they give these amazing subtle world building that they don't really linger on too much but it still tells you a lot the fact that harry you know took control of this company and like what does that mean for him now immediately post high school sort of inheriting this company that was never really destined for him and then peter who has all the smarts and the the brain needed to work on this type of stuff has to work for it because of their difference in privilege and like that just being there in like one sentence and then that's all we need and it just it just works so well it's amazing. I feel like that stuff is best done very subtly, but also it's again, like it is the text. It's not even mm-hmm. doesn't need to be plainly stated to you or spoon fed to you. It is absolutely all there in the text. Harry's jealousy later in the film that Peter took everything from him, which mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, easy for easy for Harry to say as Peter is harassed by his landlord for the rent. <laughs> Yeah, everywhere truly. he goes and, and can't can't get a break with Betty at the accounts payables at the Daily Bugle either. Right. Yeah. 
just an amazing dynamic. And uh, I agree with you that it goes places. You know, I forgot that uh, this is the debut of the amazing Butler who gets quite some material in Spider-Man three, but we'll save that for that episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, everybody's better. The J. Jonah Jameson stuff is quicker and funnier. And we see him outside the office in really funny ways. The, um, (laughs) he's perfect. He's the funniest person ever to live. Truly. We get a new busker, which is uh, an Asian woman on the street playing a violin, singing (laughs) the 60s Spider-Man theme who, who gets a payoff that works in the arc of the film because she represents the people who love him in the street, wondering where he went. There's all those little moments. Like, I mean, J. Jonah Jameson's editor, question mark, that man who has three lines has that a beautiful, incredible moment when the suit is dropped off of J. Jonah Jameson reveling in his victory. And that man, like, just that actor is so phenomenally giving so much of a story looking at this Spider-Man costume and right. realizing this is the end of this. And, like, him representing... You know, like like the the way these different people come together to represent the whole of New York and these these feelings they have towards Spider Man. I mean, that's can I we should we gotta get into that train scene really because it feels like the whole of the movie to me is 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 that heart in that train scene. And for me, the what makes this like movie feel so special is because it is it it, it so perfectly understands what like being a superhero is and the way Peter and Spider-Man intersect with the people of New York city, it feels so real. And like, you can feel that these people know him and trust him and recognize him. He, the kids call him Mr. Spider-Man. They know who he is because he is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's a person who takes care of them. And it's just so unique to this movie because it is so unique to Peter Parker as a character. And it's why he's such a genius comic book character and yeah like I just it's what makes that movie so special and that scene in the train when he protects those people and the New Yorkers carry him Mm -hmm. on his back and take care of him keep his secrets and love him like that is the movie to me and it's it's I I cannot think of a superhero movie not even talking about MCU any superhero movie period DC from all the way back to whenever the hell we started making movies about superheroes. I cannot think of another superhero movie that has a moment like that. That is so fucking good. Is he alive? He's just a kid. No older than my son. something we won't tell nobody it's good to have you back spider-man and it's and it's like at once again an escalation from the (laughs) you mess with one of us you mess with all of us of the first one which was a two-dimensional cartoon new york uh luigi who loves his pizza right probably if he had to have a name random obvious new york guy to what is a 
nuanced reaction in this film to the behavior of New Yorkers over the couple of years since they shot that that hilarious scene in the train car. Um, because what did we see around the time Spider-Man was being edited and released? We saw New Yorkers come together and help each yeah. other and lift each other up and, and, and you know, all of that. I, I'm not saying that Spider-Man 2 is a movie about 9-11. Certainly not. Those feelings are there with that city, you know? But you it's have a movie it. about a people who are stronger together. Mm-hmm. And the symbol who represents that is, yeah. is just a kid, which is the funny New York line of this movie. But, but fuck, so, man, he is just he is, a kid. He's just a kid. He's 23 years old. He's yeah, th- He they, looks 35, but no, believe <laughs> me, the man is, he's 20, 21, 22 years old. When he falls and the, their hands like softly catch his chest. Yes. It, like it brings, te- I'm going to cry. It brings tears to my eyes watching them. It's not a grab. It's just this soft enveloping that they bring him into this space. And yeah, the, he's just a kid part. It, it, it kills me every time I hear it. He's a child really who never, he was in high school when he got this. He didn't get to really grow up in the way he should have. And he's had so much responsibility and trauma sidled on him. And even given the chance, even like given the opportunity to give it up, he can't because he he's so he's such a good person that he knows his responsibility is greater than just himself. And seeing like the people he helps almost facelessly finally acknowledge him for like what he does for them. It's just really it's yeah. Oh, God, this movie is phenomenal. You know what's crazy about that also? Uh, again, not to get into it, not to compare too much. I know I was the, the guy who said not trained. to. Okay. <laughs> On your forehead. I see the red dot hitting we you We got now. a Spider-Man who does look like a kid, mm-hmm. but he's amazing and has millionaire technology and he has no mentors and he doesn't really communicate with the outside world besides he foils of one robbery, right? Um, a very insular character. We don't know his relationship to the world. We don't really know how people think about him. He's he's in the multiverse with Doctor Strange. What? Versus this, where he is New York, and New York is him, and they see the identity, and they help him. That's a beautiful, powerful thing. And we could have seen more of that elsewhere. But Yeah, it's just like the way... Even just like doing little things like saving the kids while he's delivering the pizza. Like we get to see like these everyday little things he probably does all day. These small changes for good he makes. It it just if he feels so lived in like we as the audience feel that over these two years he's gotten good at this thing. You know what I mean? Like over these two years this is he's deeply affected this city so much that it's it's noticeable. I don't know. I feel like this movie very effectively incorporates non-hero people because I feel like sometimes, oh yeah, like newer movies of all of all types, like haven't like aren't sure how to incorporate normal people <laughs> and like how their lives are affected by heroes everywhere. And this movie, I think, does a really good job at acknowledging that like they know things are fucked up, and Spider-Man is truly the only person saving them from it, and and they have a opinion about him. They have a relationship with him. Like it feels really lived in. Absolutely. And I mean, it also helps that the real people in this movie are also very funny, Mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, Hal Sparks, best week ever. I love the hero, right? In the elevator, that classic trailer line, Joel McHale, the bank teller. Oh, you're, (laughs) 
<laughs> your grandson's a real hero. Or your nephew's a real hero. That I forgot Emily who they Deschanel? Are. Yes. What was going on there? And, uh, you know, to your point, too, and I, I think you were talking about Bill Nunn as Robbie Robertson, as kind of the, the, the editor-in-chief of The Bugle, who has the butt heads, you know, mm-hmm. who likes Spider-Man but is powerless against the uh, magnanimous J. Jonah Jameson, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that that's even a thing in this movie and that you could infer that and that that's something you can imagine out, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's it's a whole world. It's a whole world. It's so real. It feels like our world. It really does. Yeah. It doesn't feel like some sort of disjointed, faraway place. Like, this feels like a place I, that I live in. You know what I mean? That, that feels familiar. Yeah. It feels like really real in New York. <laughs> like, yeah, like when I watch this, I'm like, is this not just what New York is? Like, it just feels so. It's, it's just so real. Of course. Absolutely. And I think that, like, at least for me, a special part of Peter, you know, comparing him to the billionaire technology. I love that Peter is poor. I love that he's a poor kid. I love that he has to work. I the like real life of him is what makes him so relatable too, from an audience standpoint, because like. Those are all the things we deal with, right? We all, you know, a lot of us deal with, like, you know, food insecurity, money problems, uh, not being able to pay your rent on time, like, all these things. And it's sort of this, like, aspirational feeling of, like, oh, my God, he's literally just like me. Like, he deals with all these things I deal with. And he also manages to be a hero. So maybe I can also find that strength within myself. Like, he's such a relatable character. And it's another reason why he's... He's so good. And like this movie just gets that more than any other movie that's ever done a superhero. It's just crazy. It's crazy. There you go. Can't take $100 from Aunt May. Can't do it. She's perfect in this. I've been there. Yeah. Rosemary Harris. Mind blowing. Uh, you know, really holds everything together. Yes. That like that amazing scene where, you know, oh, those dreadful old comic books. I threw them away. And then like immediately tells peter basically like i know what happened to uncle ben it's okay like it's not i understand that now i get it and that's obviously why you became spider-man she all but says to him (laughs) yeah (laughs) right which was so brilliant like i couldn't believe you'll never guess who he wants to be (laughs) spider-man why well he knows a hero when he sees one too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. Lord knows, kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and and give up the thing we want the most. Even our dreams. Spider-Man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. 
I couldn't believe. And while we're on amazing performances, you know, some of these movies, maybe not so much these days, but back then, you really was the strength of the villain really was the unifying element. Mm-hmm. Of course, we had the amazing Willem Dafoe, and we're still in character actor city here with my king, Alfred Molina, as Dr. Octopus, uh, a character that I, I looked at as a kid and was like, finally, like me on film. Very odd. <laughs> Very odd. Um, I love this performance. I think he's absolutely fantastic. They do a great job. I thought it was cool to not make this character some kind of geeky incel, but to instead give him this love story with his wife as a model for Peter and as a way of like somewhere, Peter, somewhere you will find the balance in your life between whatever it is you want to do. He had no idea at that time that he was Spider-Man, of course. But like the idea that that you can have it all and you could figure it out. Hmm. And then the, you know, the turn into the high camp, that amazing scene, the ultimate Sam Raimi scene in this film, it's been pointed to in that way a lot, but the surgery scene where the arms wake up and take over everything. And from there he becomes this great, again, there's a camp voice being used here on the villains. That is perfect because it keeps you, we're talking about a lot of really high emotions here and the movie is very emotional, but that camp vibe on like, I'll get you next time, Spider-Man, like, or, or Jason or Jameson saying, Mass Menace terrorizes town, which I apologize. It's in this movie. It's not in the last one. I apologize. But like that <laughs> stuff balances it out perfectly along with the humor of stuff like, you know, hey, here's a note for other people who do Spider-Man. Uh, in this movie, J. Jonah Jameson uh, is like a man named Otto Octavius uh, gets f- four extra arms. How's that for luck? That's how you joke about something like that, by the way. Not calling it stupid. Anyway, uh, how did you feel about this? What What do you feel? What do you have to say about Alfred Molina? That's I mean, Alfred Molina is amazing. He's a goat. He's an incredible actor. You know, if, if Donna Murphy was my wife and, oh my and she died, I would also go crazy. And all how right? amazing with all the, with that material, how well drawn, how amazing is she in this? I mean, Donna, like, if, if you, you all know that Kev and I are, are Broadway kids. We love musicals. Donna Murphy is theater royalty. And, yeah, her sheer talent that she can take a character with, like, ten lines and two scenes and make her so immediately recognizable and, like, make Otto make sense completely. Like you, f- Like, you get to know her so quickly through her warmth and just a few looks that you understand how deep that loss is. Like, that single scene establishing them. And some movies might feel too light, like, oh, I didn't really get to feel this relationship. But, but the two of them and their talent, you feel how lived that relationship is. And so they only need that scene to establish that before we lose her. Also, another great Raimi comic-y, her face screaming in the shard <laughs> as it flies. Her yeah. Face. Phenomenal comic book uh, page. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, Alfred Molina's phenomenal. He brings so much depth to... Otto, I think that's honestly where this trilogy for me succeeds. I mean, it succeeds in so many ways, but their their villains consistently to me are always so fleshed out and full of heart. And yeah. you, you care about these people, even in their bad deeds. Like, at least for the Green Goblin, like, I can see, like, 
the love he has for Peter and his son and the, the legacy he wants to leave behind, which makes his fall, his descent into darkness so heartbreaking. And with Otto, we, we see the love he lost and his own hubris being the reason why he lost the love of his life is, is heart-wrenching. And so you understand this sort of feelings he has. And I think, honestly, I it's a controversial take. I love one of the villains in the third film because of that reason. Like he is so human and heartbreaking and right. you see where his story comes from. And this trilogy does that really well. And Otto's just a perfect example of it. Uh, I gotta say, like, I love that Peter doesn't defeat him by necessarily fighting him, but he defeats him by, f- by finding Otto. He finds where Otto is inside and pleads to that good, intelligent person that was left inside there. And, I think that's an amazing way to end this story. He doesn't want to die a monster and he he's able to sort of come out and, and really leave on his own terms. It's really beautiful. We have to shut it down. Please tell me how. Peter Parker. Brilliant but lazy. Look at what's happening. We must destroy it. can't destroy it. I won't! You once spoke to me about intelligence. That it was a gift to be used for the good of mankind. A privilege. These things have turned you into something you're not. Don't listen to them. It was my dream. Sometimes, to do what's right, we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most, even our dreams. You're right. is just the best and the, the special effects too it should be noted before we get off, off of alfred molina yeah but the blend of cg and the puppet arms is amazing you can't tell in most cases um the cg is also like has taken a step up the green screen blending when he's pulling on the train and uh he's got that shot where he's got to look he's got to look behind himself to mouth off at the guy <laughs> I mean, you could tell it's a green screen. We're all adults here, but that looked really great. Like the blending on that was really solid. I was really immersed. I thought the the effects looked phenomenal. I also think that sometimes the Spidey body when it's CG can look a little weird, but yes. like in the first one, especially, but here, but I think it also, yeah, you're getting like blended way better. Um, yeah. It's really great. Absolutely. And I think, really, we only got one more major player left. Mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst. The iconic Kirsten Dunst as MJ returns. And I love how this movie is this huge action epic. But also, there's this big emotional romance like story that the stakes are just as high. The stakes are feel just as high in this romance that is so meaty in this film. Uh, it's it's insane to me that he was able to balance the superhero aspect and the romance aspect in the same film right. so beautifully. And 
yeah, MJ and Peter have a really compelling love story in this film. Well, balance is what the movie is all about, right? It's mm-hmm. all about trying to find the balance in your life between your obligations, whether that's uh, going to school or being Spider-Man or, or your part-time pizza delivery job or, you know. Uh, and it's really telling Raimi's incredible, I don't want to say competence, Maybe skill is the right, like he's so skilled that he can do this entire complicated nuclear reactor story with Dr. Octopus and have that all make sense over here. And then cut to the Lyric Theater where we're just watching the importance of being earnest for two minutes. <laughs> and we're just sitting there watching it. She goes up and on a line because Peter's there and the guy has to go, I am glad. I am glad, which is legendary with my friends. So there you go. But um, we got to see all that. Because there's room in the real world for it, and there's so it's part of Peter's world. So why wouldn't we see it? And, and and we're able to see Mary Jane's whole deal. Her whole deal. It's really really great. Like she has so much to do, and it never yeah. Like it it's once again like how I said like Harry and Otto were sort of going at their own pace and then intersect at really great moments. We have this villain plot going. We have this romance 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 plot going (laughs) and then the perfect intersection of them at the end of oh the girlfriend's here perfect she's the kidnapped victim and now we have this whole incredible save mary jane sort of sequence we have to do like it's 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 yeah just like you're right this he balances humor and heart he balances romance and action it's it's all it's just this it's just this perfect yin and yang that this film has and uh, yeah, I just think Kirsten's great, and I and I love you mentioning the the wedding dress, her running to him. You think it's a, the way it's lit, the way it happens. You think it's a fantasy sequence, but it's just real fucking life because we're in a movie, and isn't it beautiful? Yeah, this is another this is another movie that is very much. A couple weeks ago, I said you're in a fucking movie, right? Yep. My God, Doctor Octopus comes up in the hospital room and goes no. And he brings his bank robin hat when he goes to rob the bank, which is a safe full of cartoon sacks of gold coins. coins, yeah. (laughs) Because throwing them looks fun, right? It looks cool. And they're heavy, right? That's the whole point. And Peter can go, here's your change. And also, Peter can find that balance and they can fall in love. Yes. Whatever. What are you going to say? The spider was unrealistic? Crazy. (laughs) It's so good. It's 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 just a beautiful reminder of like, again, in a world, it doesn't have to be all the time hyper realistic. She can she can run out of that church. It's great. It's a beautiful thing, and she sells it perfectly. Her performance is is just fantastic. So before we go, do you have any final random popcorn notes you want to share? Oh man, I have so many. Um, I worked in Doc Ock's Bank Robin hat, which I'm pretty happy that I mentioned. Uh, Dylan Baker plays Kurt Connors, a character that comic readers will know or Andrew Garfield fans will know, uh, becomes the lizard, which was always my dream as a kid watching these movies. Like, oh, I wish they would just let him be the lizard. But obviously that didn't work out. I think the original Spider-Man 4 was going to have him as one of the villains. We'll talk about him in the Alan Parsons project, but the Ditkoviches both are excellent. Hilarious little Easter egg here to name a character Ditkovich after Steve Ditko, the creator of the artist <laughs> behind Spider-Man. Um, loved. We, we got a big laugh at my, my house over Peter using the regular laundromat to wash his Spider-Man suit with his <laughs> regular clothes. 
Um, very the, good. The very clear symbolism. So this is another one. You're in an effing movie. Peter opens the closet and he sees the Spider-Man suit and his formal suit to go to the theater. Uh, loved that. Again, very clear, very symbolic, whatever. We're in a movie. We need the clear imagery because it really sends the subtle stuff home. Yeah, I mean, the Spider-Man costume staining his normal clothes, you know? Exactly. It's all, it's all there. <laughs> uh, the importance of being earnest is written in the American Horror Story font. Very That's odd. Amazing. Look at it again. And uh, Bruce Campbell. We didn't talk about Bruce Campbell. Mm. He does cameos in all three of these, and he appears in uh, No Way Home. No Way Home as well as a hot dog <laughs> vendor, which is pretty funny. And... Uh, yeah, he's brilliant. This is my favorite cameo from him as the snooty usher. <laughs> These ushers do exist is the thing. Mm-hmm. They are very real. <laughs> I will say the the reason that they that they exist is because they have to exist to keep <laughs> you out. Um, in the 2.1 cut, there's a deleted scene where J. Jonah Jameson is caught putting on the Spider-Man costume and doing the pose on his desk. I highly recommend anybody go look it up on YouTube. It's amazing. And uh, my final notes, one, sorry, I know these are a lot, but this is a big movie. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, the He's Back reveal, I'm already using the GIF like 10 times a day, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> that like, I want Spider-Man! He's screaming in the air as it goes, he's back, as the cover of the bugle. <laughs> Just brilliant. The, the bugle being the New York Post. I love it. I love it. And lastly, um, here's the note verbatim. LMFAO, but I don't even care at this Midtown Manhattan elevated train. <laughs> I don't even care. We love him. How about you, Mackenzie, your strand, your stray notes for Spider-Man 2, and then we'll go into final readings and do our little show. Um, I loved the mirroring of scenes. The yes. background, the backyard scene being kind of mirrored with MJ and Peter. That's was right. Really great. Uh, from the first, I feel like there was another sort of, you know, we get we get Uncle Ben back as well and sort of not really a mirrored scene, but just like I love the references to the first, but I love these sort of visual cues of scenes that are similar to the first film but have different meanings. Thought that was fun. The backyard was where it like jumped out to me. Uh, again, Donna Murphy, I would also destroy the world for you. Uh, I'm in love with you. Um, multiple Desperate Housewives actors on that's this. That's right. That's so right. the guy, when he pulls up to the play and the cop that's like, I'm going to tow that. Literally was in an episode of Desperate Housewives. I watched like three episodes ago, also playing a cop who was towing cars. So I think he just left this set and went and played the exact same character on the Desperate Housewives set. Uh, And then, of course, you know, if any Wisteria Gaze listeners are here, you know I love Mrs. Huber in season one of Desperate Housewives, the Hoobs, Christine Estabrook herself, the queen who uh, famously refused to be on our podcast. Um, Oh, that was her? (laughs) Yeah, it's oh Christine Nesterbrook. Oh, my God. <laughs> Famously refused to be on our podcast. Listen to Mysterio Gates if you want that story. Uh, she plays J. Jonah Jameson's wife, uh, and she's phenomenal. I know Bad Blood. I love her as an actress, and she's really great on Desperate Housewives, and she's fun in a small role here. Um, Christine Nesterbrook is just great. Uh, or I should say her agents said no. I don't know if she actually ever got given the... Uh, you know, the, the question, but uh, the doctor in the grateful dead t-shirt was funny. Like what is th- that guy's deal? Oh this yeah. Doctor who loves the grateful dead and kind of figures out that Peter Parker's Spider-Man compelling romance, New York city, blah, blah, blah. The guy that brings in the suit is in Mulholland drive. He's one of the cops, at the very beginning of Mulholland drive. Everything is connected. 
everything is connected. Everything is connected. That is the point of this show. Uh, Aunt May, Rosemary Harris is the MVP of this film for me. She's everything to me. Uh, I really love the thread of children through this movie. I was texting you that privately. Um, sort of the um, the impact that children have on Peter and almost like him seeing the future of New York, him seeing the futures he needs to protect is like what sort of fuels him, him saving those children in right. the beginning, him saving the kid in the fire. Um, you know, Henry, that beautiful monologue being kind of spurred because Henry needs heroes, as Aunt May says. And then, of course, the, the beautiful performances from the little kids at the on the train saying, you know, we love you, Spider-Man. We're going to keep your secret. And it's just really beautiful. Like, the threat of children is another reason why I think this world feels so real, because people are kind of scared to put kids in movies nowadays, I think. Uh, but kids are around, and their futures the, are worth fighting for, and we all should be fighting for their futures. And so, like, it's really, really great. Um, children will listen. And, yeah, I think that's that's really it. I think I've said everything. A beautifully, wonderfully contained, epic high stakes emotional story and uh it's just so good what else is there to say what more can we say 10 stars i think yeah 10 stars uh, absolutely. yeah baby yeah i i gave it four and a half last time when i binged it with the first one being like well maybe it's not as good as the first one and i decided to get over my own fucking bullshit <laughs> and just say this is obviously a five-star movie yeah so all right uh shall we do our little show let's do it I love, I love gold. gold. Well, you know, the Raimi films, lots of accolades. Starting at the big one, at the 2005 Academy Awards, Best Visual Effects winner. No what? surprise here. Um, really amazing visual effects, and they won. What can I say? Like, <laughs> Hell also, yeah. nominations for editing, uh, sound editing and sound mixing. At the mm. AFI Awards, it was one of 10 movies of the year. Good. which was a crazy list. Uh, Danny Elfman won uh, the best, uh, the BMI Film Music Award at the BMI Film and TV Awards at the British Academy Film Awards. The movie was nominated for visual effects and the BAFTA for best sound and orange film of the year, which I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't know. What else did we win here? Sam Raimi won the Empire Award for best director. The movie was nominated for the Hugo Award what else we had here? A bunch of MTV Movie Awards that it did not win, which makes me curious about what did win, but not that curious. <laughs> uh, best overall DVD at the Satellite Awards, which that DVD, both the first two at least, DVDs were amazing and packed with features that were really great. Oh, hell yeah. Visual Effects Society, of course. Uh, best compositing, as I said, some of the best composite work I've seen, especially of that era. Um, outstanding created environment in a live act on motion picture won that Whoa. award and Alfred Molina won best performance by an actor or actress in a visual effects film. And rightfully yeah. so I think his relationship with the puppets re and even the, the CG as well really elevates it. And Raimi does a great job. If you look in the behind the scenes, like Alfred Molina's on a rig getting towed around by those things on set, like all the time. Yeah. Uh, also, best overall stunt by a stuntman, Chris Daniels and Michael Huggins won uh, the World Stunt Award for 2005. Hell yeah. So how exciting is that? Uh, and those are some of the awards. You know, there are many nominations, and uh, those are some of the ones that won. All right, next, in the Alan Parsons Project, every week we connect our movie to the Austin Powers Trilogy. 
And in this case, we happen to have <laughs> we happen to have like over 75 connections to the Austin Powers movies. So I'm going to keep this brief because the show is already long. Our biggest connection, Elia Baskin, of course, is Mr. Ditkovich, the uh, the rent, <laughs> the amazing, uh, the amazing, the star of that great meme from the next one. We'll get there. Also plays the Russian guy in the opening of International Man of Mystery. He is the general who comes yeah. with Basil to unthaw Austin Powers. Yeah, comrade. <laughs> in the opening. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Burt Bacharach, of course, wrote Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Hal da- with Hal David. Malcolm McNabb is back on the show from the music department, the legendary trumpet player. Susie Katayama has also been mentioned on the show. The Hollywood Studio Symphony, which which brings us Beauty and the Beast, by the way, so just saying. Uh, Gary Archer, Mike Smithson, Kevin Dorsey in the music department, John Rod in the music department, Alan McFarland, who does special effects and has also been on the show before. Uh, Mike Savage in the camera department, also a veteran of the show. George Daring, who we've definitely talked about also. Uh, the last couple names from the stunt department, Michael Gaines and Jane Oshita. Or Oshita, nice. rather. Again, we've got like 75 names. It's totally crazy. Uh, coming coming soon, full lists. All I have to say about that. Hell yeah. There you are. You're over there. It's getting... It's we getting. Have- worse every week <laughs> no i love it i love it uh we have two quick use over there two little letters uh from a new listener sophie sophie from arlington says with the subject line i loved elvis too yeah you did there Great we job. go baby sophie says i just wanted to let you know that i found your podcast for the first time because i went to see the elvis movie and started upset Uh, started searching for any podcast episodes that talked about it like you i am obsessed with this movie and have not seen a movie more than once in the cinema in over 20 years but i find myself at 46 gideon awestruck austin butler wtf that's right question mark exclamation point question mark heart thank you for your observations sophie from arlington what a lovely letter thank you sophie hopefully you you stuck around and are hanging out Um, (laughs) but hey if it's only for elvis that's okay if only for a moment, any time we spend together is is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> and and you know what? Like not for nothing. I know we've said it already a few times, but correct me if I'm wrong. Elvis continues to be our highest rated episode. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I bet a lot of people showed up who were not our close personal friends who know how weird <laughs> we are and were like, "What are these two bozos talking about?" It's a beautiful thing. This <laughs> is that, that's thing. the Elvis the Elvis bump. Speaking of our friends who know that we're bozos, our dear friend Brandon wrote in. Yeah, Brandon, who sent me who last week on my birthday, he, he had made buttons for my other podcast, Eminite Movie Night, which he did send and they were lovely. But he also sent me a beautiful Elvis figurine, which was oh. just like beyond the beyond. So kind. Brandon, thank you for that. I really oh, appreciate Brandon. it. Uh, Brandon is the best. I love you so much. And Brandon says to us, uh, subject line had time to email. Uh, don't know why, but tonight I was thinking about what line from the original Austin I've quoted most in my life. I think it's when he has to sign the paperwork to accept his possessions and his p- and penis and larger pump paraphernalia. And Austin says, okay, okay, I'll sign just to get things moving, you know. Specifically the part, just to get things moving. 
I'm not sure why that line in particular. Thought you'd want to know that. Your pal, Brandon. You know, it's funny what sticks with people. It's the littlest things. Like, I was listening to Hard Knock Life a lot because the last show we did was Annie. And the line, Austin got me in the first act. Like, it's something like that. Austin got me in the first act. That's backwards. What's up with that? That sat with me for my entire COVID period. I don't know why. But for the last two weeks, I've been thinking about that an awful lot. It's funny what sticks with you. You know what I mean? For any, I, for any like quip-based comedy, but yeah. Since starting this podcast, I've realized how much I quote Austin Powers like daily, and I'm like more hyper aware of it. And Rachel always gives me a look every time because it just it just comes so naturally. And I think that scene is so quotable because I also love just to get things moving, but I also love that's not mine. Those are my bag, baby. And then peanuts and larger pumps and me. They are my bag, baby. You know, like, I just feel like that, line, that, that scene is so endlessly quotable. So I love it. That's true. <laughs> Great letter. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. So if you want to be over there as well, you can email us at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about Austin. You can tell us about Spider-Man. You can tell us what you, how you feel about whatever movie I'm going to roll for right now. That's right. The interns are rolling in as we speak our giant wheel. Folks, if this is your first time listening to Austin Danger Podcast, almost every week we pick a movie at random from this giant wheel of over 450 movies. Uh, it's an incomplete <laughs> list that is always growing. <laughs> we, I feel like we've been at like that number for a long time. That's right. We work, we work hard to keep it 100 here at Austin Danger Podcast. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Already it's the kind of laugh that I don't like. <laughs> I am actually curious how you feel about this movie. I personally vividly remember watching this film on VHS numerous, numerous, numerous times. Okay. Okay. I this movie actually came out before I was born. It is also based off of a comic book series, I believe. Or maybe just a small run. But it's definitely I not a movie I would consider a comic book movie. Oh. But it is a nineteen ninety-four early Jim Carrey vehicle. Are we doing it? Where he puts on a mask oh, th- and becomes this... a cartoon character. I have not seen this movie since I was like four. The age of Cuban Pete has begun on Austin Danger Podcast. <laughs> this is a feet? core memory movie for me. Yeah, absolutely. I only remember Cameron Diaz in this movie in that red dress. That's the one thing I remember about the mask. I don't know. I could tell you nothing else about this film. I only remember vaguely as a gay child seeing Cameron Diaz in a red dress. I'm a straight man and all I can think about is fucking Cuban Pete. So tells you <laughs> where I'm at. You're a blooded American man and you're only thinking about Cuban Pete. That's right. I, I'm, I think, oh, if you can't tell, sorry, I don't know if I said The Mask, 1994's. Starring Jim Carrey, directed by Chuck Russell. Um, I one did not know it was based off a comic book. I don't. I am very so interested to figure this movie out. They made a lot of changes to it. It's very different. The comic is way darker. Uh, it is an odd movie. I wonder. I also haven't seen it in like twenty years. So, like, I, I haven't mean, seen it shit. since the videotape. 
I haven't seen it since those days. Same. I remember I remember my mom owned the VHS and sometimes like when my mom was not home, I would like defy my Disney movies and randomly put on like an adult movie I found and the mask was absolutely one of them. That's how I got obsessed with Bowfinger at a young age, but that's That's another that's story for a Bowfinger episode that we will hopefully one day do. My unofficial f- top 5 <laughs> uh letterbox movie. Uh yeah, wow. I the mask. What a wild pick. Sorry to like. I don't even know how to end this. I'm so confused now. We're back in the wheelhouse. This is fucking wheelhouse as hell. And if you want to talk to us about the mask or about anything else in the world, again, like anything, send it to AustinAsiaPodcast at gmail.com, whether by text or at an, in an MP3, mono please, shorter than 90 seconds. Sorry. One of the top reviews on this relates to Mike Myers uh, on the top reviews on the mask on letterboxd is Cameron Diaz data non green man challenge, uh, which obviously is joking about Shrek. And that is a very funny review. I'm oh going to give God. that a like. That is, that is very good. <laughs> That's very good. So yeah, next week we are returning to the roots of not just our movie watching, but of the show. We're back mm. in the mid nineties comedy my boy Jim Carrey oh, I'm so excited but until then from Mackenzie this is Kev Austin Danger Podcast peace if you want to find us on social media you can find us on Twitter Instagram and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod this episode was mixed and edited by me Mackenzie thanks for listening thanks for listening